Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Quarter. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 106. Hey guys, um, welcome back. It's been kind of a tired week for me. Staying up too late, messing around with code. But what have you guys been up to? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah, just keeping on, keeping on. <laughs> I've been traveling a bit, so uh, between that and doing some coding, it's nights and weekends on top of the day job. It's kept me pretty busy the last few days. Uh, I'm saving up my traveling for June is I'll be out in beautiful San Jose, which that should be fun. I'm, I'm kind sure of dis- it, it, it'll be fun uh, no matter what, but it'll probably be different than previous years just because of the location and different things to do in San Jose than in San Francisco. Yeah, I'm kind of disappointed in the in the location change because in previous years we've had our dub dub what to expect kind of episode and now we don't know what to say or what to what to write about or talk about it's going to be all new i guess it's probably even like the veterans that were at dub dub when it was still in san jose before it moved to san francisco they're probably going to have a completely different experience from what it was 10 years ago or whatever, however long ago it was. Yeah. You just got to cross your fingers and hope there's lots of Adwala and the box lunches are actually decent. Ooh, that, that, that could be interesting. (laughs) I'm guessing those conference hotels might have slightly better food. Maybe. I'm just hoping that it's not the same people that organized the fire festival because that's going to be terrible. (laughs) It'll be a, a one-day conference. I don't think John knows much about iOS development. <laughs> yeah, but you know they they brought on those Beats guys. They don't really know iOS. They know their headphones, I guess. But but the Beats guys are good. <laughs> <laughs> the, the key. No difference. one's heard anything from Jaw Rule in like ten years. I don't think. <laughs> and I guess it'll be another ten before they hear anything. Pro- probably, yeah. Yeah, speaking of old stuff, how about this article? I guess it made it's an older article actually, but it just made the rounds relatively recently. Uh, about the case for deprecating UI table view. And this is for those that maybe haven't seen it, this is a article by Pete is it Steinbrenner? Is that his last name? I thought it was Steinberger, but I could be wrong. I Actually, it sounds more like you're right than me. So (laughs) I just totally messed that one up. But the article itself is a lot better than my recollection of his last name. Yeah, I remember uh, basically to summarize the article, um, he's basically just talking about, hey, we should be able to use UI collection view instead of UI table view so that we'd have kind of one API to write to. And it would have all the cool new stuff, but we can't really right now uh, because either Apple's not done or they just aren't trying to let UI collection view do all the all the extra goodies that 
that UI table view does for us. Uh, and I rem I remember, I think I was at dub dub with both of you guys. I think it was iOS seven came out. Was that when they introduced UI collection six, view six? Was iOS it six? six. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was iOS six. And we were all working on the same project and after double, I was like, all right, let's, let's, uh, let's take all of our table views and turn them into collection views. Or if you do something new, do it in a collection view instead of a table view. And I think luckily that didn't end up happening for, for most things. Uh, but I mean, it seemed like the logical conclusion, what, like five years ago that that's what we should be doing, but it well, has not worked out that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it's very easy to make a collection view that works like a basic table view. There is extra things you need to do as far as the, the layout goes. Yeah, it's kind of easy. There's lots of little, especially if you're doing like input and stuff like that, then it gets kind of messy. Yeah, I think you get to this point where it's like when you have all these JavaScript libraries trying to mimic ui kit and so you get something that's very close it looks pretty similar but maybe doesn't work exactly right yeah there's things like sticky headers i think are still tricky to do in a ui collection view versus a table view and uh, i think there's a little bit more work around you know some basic setup like resizing and it's kind of nice because you have flexibility over the type of layout but at the same time you know, I think we were all expecting Apple, especially was expecting a lot of third party layouts for collection views and not too many really materialized. Like if you search on GitHub, there's some out there, but a lot of them haven't been touched in, in quite a while. And well, and I felt like in, I felt like in iOS six, when it came out, it was not fully baked. Like I remember going into the labs, trying to figure some stuff out and they were like, uh, we're not really sure what, what the fix is for this thing. Uh, and, and so they've gradually been trying to solidify things since then. And since it wasn't a big new feature, it seems like it's hard to get resources to really tighten, tighten it up at Apple just because yeah. they have so many other things that they're doing. Yeah. You know, I think a, a lot of the API is very reminiscent of table views which is interesting because um, Peter calls out the API warts of a UI table view. So like, I don't necessarily feel like it's a huge step forward API wise, uh, but it does give you a lot of flexibility in terms of pluggable layouts and being able to adapt to different sizes, which is probably the, the biggest issue here from my perspective of, you know, we're getting more and more screen sizes and, now we've got size classes now, which came after UI table view and UI collection view. Uh, so, you yeah. know, it should be a little bit easier, ideally, to, to adapt to different sizes using the same, uh, same layout structure. Or, you know, whether it's a table view or a collection view, it'd be nice if you went from a, a, a wide screen to a narrow screen that it would you do the right thing kind of you know responsive design type of concepts yeah but you don't even have so like in an interface builder there when you're configuring your collection view your collection view there there is no trait collections 
for these things. So if you want something that maybe fits three columns on a iPhone 5S form factor, but maybe would go to four columns on a six or six plus, or I guess the bigger ones, seven, seven plus now, you can't do that with the, with trait collections. So you, you end up with this layout that maybe looks good on one size phone, but looks terrible on other phones, unless you do your own manual calculations on it. Yeah. And, you know, theoretically with the iPhone eight, uh, the rumor is that it's going to be a, a different aspect ratio. So uh, in landscape, you're potentially going to have an even wider screen. So you could, could potentially do more with that. Uh, but right now, yeah, we don't, like you said, short of checking screen size, there's not much you can do about it. Size classes don't don't really give you that that level of control. Um, you know, personally, I think something more like a flexbox type of solution would be better here than like a table view or collection view uh, for those types of scenarios. Um, with the exception of you know the, the big benefit in my mind of collection views and table views is the cell reuse. You get better performance, better scroll behavior. Yeah, and it, and Argo, you. You said that maybe they haven't been able to put a lot of work into it, but last year they did implement that new, um, was it the data prefetching? Yeah, there's data prefetching and then there's a bit of pre-rendering so you get even better performance where before you'd probably use something like async display kit and there might still be a good use case for that, but it's less critical uh, for smooth scrolling. Yeah, but I guess the... The point of the article was was that UI collection view doesn't have it's not ready enough where they could deprecate UI table view. It just has a lot of shortcomings still. True. And it'd be it, it it's going to be hard if they ever want to do that. But it seems like that was the direction that they were heading. It's just really hard to get there to do that last ten percent to to be able to have like a full replacement. Uh, and don't get me wrong, UI table view. Uh, was awesome back in like iOS 2.0 when we got the SDK. It was like, wow, these apps are so much cooler than, you know, all these other junky UI toolkits we've dealt with on other platforms. But it's showing its age a little bit at this point. <laughs> you don't like begin update, end update? <laughs> I tell you, I see table views crash more often because people are trying to diff their data the way it was compared and then with what it is and get just the right number of inserts and updates and deletes. And it's just so many times that things will just crash. Yeah. It yeah it's like inconsistent, inconsistent or integrity issue. Yeah. Internal inconsistency. Yeah. It's, uh, that sounds far familiar. too easy <laughs> to, to run into that. And yeah. you get that with collection of views as well. Like, you know, I, I kind of think that both APIs, you know, the whole delegate approach is, you know, maybe it's not, not the best way. If they were to do it again, I don't know if they do it the same way. Well, and also you can run into issues because when you call something like reload table view, that's an asynchronous call. And so if you are in the middle of reloading your table view, and you're changing out the data source somehow, you're going to get a crash. And there is no kind of callback or 
or way to say, hey, table view or even collection view, are you done reloading my data yet? Can I act on the data again? So it's definitely not a not a perfect API. But everything ages. It's it's at least consistent in terms of you know between UI collection view and UI table view. You know they both have a lot of similarities, so it's not too hard to pick up one if you know the other. Yeah. But. Yeah. Let's. Yeah. Let's hope. Let's hope they can deprecate UI table view at dub this year. It'll yeah. be cool. If they can. <laughs> so one other thing that people were talking about, uh, kind of trending downward recently, has been the Apple Watch. Uh, have you guys been kind of following this stuff? It seems like a lot of companies are have been dropping watch support from their apps quietly. Yeah, I did see a few posts about that. And, you know, my, my take on it is a lot of apps kind of jumped onto that bandwagon without necessarily having a great business case for it. They just kind of did it to, to be there. You know, for whatever reason, I, I still see a lot of, or probably more now than ever, I see pe- people who aren't developers wearing Apple Watches. So I feel like it's a lot more. I'm seeing it in the wild. Part of it is, I, you know, when the Series 2 came out, the Series 1 uh, went down in price quite a bit. There were a lot of great Black Friday sales. So um, it was a little bit more easier for the average consumer to justify buying one. Yeah, but, accessible. You know, with that, I don't know how many people actually use third-party apps. I mean, I certainly don't. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we initially had, like, uh, with this, with the watch and tvOS, we kind of had two great gold rushes that didn't actually pan out, unfortunately. And people were just like, oh, I've got an app. i got to make a watch app. And they did all kinds of things that didn't really make sense for the form factor. Uh, and even Apple itself was doing things that didn't make sense and it's kind of moved things around on the OS level. Uh, and I think people have kind of figured out what makes more sense to actually have on watch OS, but a lot of it is not third party apps. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is we've got a client that we built a watch out for and they feel like they got a bit of a halo effect. You know, they saw an increase in sales. You know, it's a paid app. I think they saw something like 20% increase in sales after having the watch app. And that's been sustained for, for a while. So I think, nice. you know, when compared with another app, because they have the watch app support, maybe that wins over uh, the consumer in their decision-making process. Whether they use it or not is a totally different issue. Do you have statistics on that too? or I I Are don't you not allowed to say? <laughs> I, I don't have access to those numbers. I, I think they probably have them, but okay. I don't know what they are. I've got to imagine that the usage for, for watch apps is pretty low. Yeah, yeah. I it, it, There isn't necessarily huge time savings looking at your watch versus looking at your phone. You know, most people have their phone pretty readily accessible. I still think, and we've talked about this before, the fitness apps are still probably the killer app. So, you know, running apps, uh, any, anything related to fitness is probably a decent, decent bet. Um, you know, if we see more sensors being built in the phone and the watch, we might see more of that. You know, Apple's supposedly working on a, um, 
blood glucose meter. I don't know if that would be in the watch, the phone, or some other device, but you know, I could that that could be a, a huge win for a lot of people. I don't want my watch to like poke into me when I put it around my wrist. <laughs> uh, <so>. It doesn't. <laughs> I, I think the idea is. I think there was a, maybe a patent they filed recently. Yeah, but at that point, you start to cross the line into being a medical device versus, say, just a personal fitness device. Oh yeah, yeah. And there's but, a whole, know, already whole, tracking... whole world of regulations that come with that. Yeah, but I think that's a world that they're trying to to get into. That I think they're trying to modernize medicine. I, and you know, part of the health app is so you have control over your health data, and you can take it with you and control who has access to it. And with Research Kit and Care Kit, they've they've definitely already kind of stepped into that that space. But yeah, you know, once you start getting medical devices and you're dealing with blood glucose glucose readings, you know, that's, that's a bigger deal. And there are lots and lots of regulation around that. Yeah. So the, so the counterpoint to, I guess, to all of these Apple watches doomed articles that were going around is today, we just had Apple's earnings call and Tim Cook announced that they sold twice as many Apple watches this year as they did last year. Um, so it seems to be trending in a, and a good direction for Apple. So maybe there is a future yet. Maybe it just doesn't include that many third-party apps. I think I don't know. What do you guys make of that? You know, I think back <clears throat> back when Microsoft was pushing their Windows Phone, they would talk about how they had the highest growth rate in the industry, and that was because they went from one percent <laughs> to like three percent. Okay, so yeah, their percentage percentage-wise, their numbers were great, but without anything to actually ground those numbers. You know, Tim Cook saying, okay, we sold twice as many watches as we sold last year. That doesn't mean anything to me because I don't know necessarily how much they sold last year. Although to, to be fair, like I, the market share numbers I've seen in the kind of fitness tracking market has basically shown Fitbit's number one and everyone else is way behind. Although Apple is way out in between kind of everyone else and Fitbit. So it seems like they're at least number two and that's by a decent shot yeah. too. So I think Garmin was pretty high up there too. Were they? Okay. Yeah. I don't know if they were above Apple, but, but they've got a, a little bit of a niche market. Yeah, they, they've got a, a fair, you know, they've got a trustworthy name in terms of GPS tracking. So you know, I think they attract a certain audience certain consumer, but you know, Fitbit, I, you know, I I hear mixed things about Fitbit's stability, like with the pebble and, uh, some other things. I don't know. It's hard to say, but I know lots of people with Fitbits and they, you know, they don't do as much as the Apple watch, but what they do is predictable. And they have their nice little ecosystem that they lock you right into. Yeah. Yeah. They don't share the data directly. I mean, you, you have the API calls, so you can pull the data and push data, but not on the device. You have to go through the server. Uh, I, you know, I I haven't really followed it very closely, but I know in like the recent Android Wear updates. I know some of the some of our Android developers got pretty excited about that, and new watches I think are supposed to be pretty good. We'll see. No, I don't know. My take on it is the Apple Watch is doing reasonably well for Apple. Less so for 
app developers. Seems like a good summary. So if we were talking a little bit about um, kind of how Apple's really trying to change the health industry, uh, it seems like that's one of Tim Cook's passion. And if he had one other passion at Apple, I would say user privacy is probably one of those as well. <laughs> uh, yeah. So <laughs> there's been some interesting uh, news stories recently about Uber and what it, it was doing. It seems like they were doing some things that were against the rules and uh, actually doing some in very interesting things to avoid it, like using geofences around Apple headquarters and stuff like that. You guys, what do you guys make of all that stuff that was going around? You know, I always, when I first came to the platform, I always thought, what stops people from doing this kind of thing? You know, putting these geofences in your app and then, or even time date kinds of things where, okay, on seven days from today, from my compile date, whatever, I'm going to turn this feature on and the reviewers are never going to see it. Ha ha ha. So, but I always figured that it was just something that's not really a responsible thing to do and you would probably get in trouble. And uh, hmm. I guess we have that answer now. Um, I mean, there's a pretty common trend around, you know, feature toggles, dark launching or um, AB testing. So, you know, turning on and off behavior um, based on switches from the server side is not necessarily a new concept. I honestly, I haven't been following the Uber stuff because it's really kind of hard to keep track of what controversy they're in this week. Uh, yeah, that's it, it's, fair. it's kind of uh, interesting how quickly that brand has been um, stained. Uh, you know, I'm sure they probably still have lots of customers and making lots of money, but not getting the same press that that they were you know people might stop using uber as a verb yeah well and i feel kind of this this probably sounds ridiculous to most people but uh I, I feel kind of bad that they did have some legitimate use cases they were trying to like protect against fraud that it was was their story um and i mean they're losing money when people like do stuff like delete the app and recreate a fresh account to like get rid of a bad rating or something like that. And we run into stuff like that all the time. And it really sucks when you have users who are trying to do abusive things and basically there's no way to, to, to stop them <laughs> in the future. And may maybe I don't really need to have that much sympathy from Uber because, because of all the other things surrounding them and maybe what they're act what they were actually doing. So I shouldn't feel that bad, but it's a it's a problem that's kind of hard to solve at this point. Yeah, not everybody's a, a good citizen in the world, and unfortunately, mm -hmm. you have to police that a little bit, at least as far as your app ecosystem goes. And Apple does have specific language, or they did, uh, around not having different behavior based on location. In, in terms of functionality that's available. I mean, you know, even Apple's App Store app has, or Apple Store app has different behavior when you're in the store. That's that's kind of a different thing, but, you know, turning features on and off based on where users located, in theory, is a little bit of a gray area, I suppose. Um, 
one of those unenforceable rules like the no push notifications for advertising. <laughs> yeah. And you've got state-based rules that you kind of have to do that in some cases, like, you know, not, not even getting like sales tax, but certain things like raffles or whatever have, you know, some states have rules against raffles in general and uh, fundraising and for charities. Have, you know, there's implications to that based on geography, but so yeah, yeah, it starts getting into that unenforceable area because there are legitimate use cases for it. The, the interesting part that is that here's Uber, this very large company, and they have blatantly flouted the, the rules for the app store. And they get a personal phone call from Tim Cook saying, hey, we need to talk. We need to meet. Whereas if you and I did this kind of thing, there would be no phone call. There'd be an email saying, hey, you're out. Yeah, it would, it would be like uh, the whole Dash saga all over again <laughs> if we're if we were lucky. <laughs> if you were lucky, that's the best case scenario for someone like us, <laughs> which is not a very good scenario. But so do your best not to break Apple's rules. But yeah, it's I don't know if you were if you were Tim Cook. I, there's a lot lot of reasons I, I think why it, it'd be it's it's wise not to just block an app that's is big like if facebook and well and they do do all kinds of crazy crap but if facebook was doing something uh you know really malicious or something like that i imagine they would get the same treatment because people would be very upset if if apple removed the facebook app right. or and i'm sure that that would give government some stuff to look into too uh when they have when they start doing things that affect that number of people and say, no, can't do that with us. It, it kind of harkens back to the, their ebook price fixing, uh, issues that Amazon had with them a while back. So it's, it's, it's a hard line to toe, I think. Yeah. And Apple's not a competitor because they're not in the same market, but they are a major investor in a very similar company in China, uh, which I believe bought out Uber in at least in certain markets. Right. The the Chinese market. Yeah. Yeah. Didi, I think it's called, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know how that would play into it, but I'm sure it's a factor or yeah, I'm sure there's a relationship there, if nothing else. Yeah, I imagine Tim Cook didn't want to spend, you know, 13 hours in a Senate hearing trying to explain you know, whatever section of the App Store rules that Uber was violating, and that's why they got rid of it. So I can definitely see why they he would not let it slide, but give them a second chance. Yeah, I guess yeah. one of the good things that I think has come out of all the discussion around it is that um, Apple has made it impossible uh, to do what they did uh, on fewer to build an app today. I, I think so. They were basically calling some IO kit stuff, and I think they made it harder to do it in iOS 8 and iOS 9 and iOS 10. They made it completely impossible to do from the sandbox. Um, so I, I, I guess there's some good news there in that. This very specific uh, form of collecting data from your device can't be done anymore. Uh, who knows what other methods that 
Twitter and Facebook are using now, but this one's gone. Hooray. <laughs> well, yeah, the whole, the whole platform has gotten a lot better at being private. There was, I remember my last client, they were entertaining, uh, entertaining a partnership with a startup that when they first started, they were uh, kind of using some Unix commands to see what apps were actually running and Oh yeah, just examining the process and stuff. Yeah, basically making what would be like a PS call or something. And yeah, I think Apple got rid of that in iOS nine, maybe. I believe so. It was nine. Definitely, it's gone. It was definitely gone by ten. And, yeah. And so then, yeah, I asked. We had an on-site meeting with these people, or they came to us, and I asked them, "Well, how are you doing this now? Since it's basically not allowed and." prohibited and against app store rules and whatnot. And they had some weird hand wavy comments about how they kind of examined the, the CPU frequencies and, and whatnot. And <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was very hand wavy. Like, yeah, we kind of have a way of making it work, but it's not the best, uh, but please give us a lot of money. So I don't even, I kind of, I understand why this, that client would have wanted that information. I just, don't see it being all that beneficial to them, but that's a, that's another topic. I'm glad they, they didn't go through with that. Oh, I can see why lots of companies would want that data for sure. But <laughs> <laughs> well, in this case, if you can only profile, say a hundred apps, yeah, I guess that's helpful, but it's, you know, okay. I with they could tell me maybe within a 25% certainty rate that, the user came from the ESPN app to my app. How is that helpful? That's not, that's really not that helpful. Yeah. I wonder if we're going to see anything cool privacy related uh, in a month or two. wonder what else they have up their sleeve from Apple. Well, I'm sure they'll, they'll tout their differential privacy and how they've advanced that. Yeah. It gets to be a bigger and bigger issue all the time. Yeah. So, well, Anyway, I guess that's about all the time we have for this week. Uh, you guys want to tell us where we can find you on the internet? You can find me at AJ Robinson on Twitter. I'm at Alex Argo. And the podcast is at Shared Inst. And uh, if you want to come and chat with us and talk about maybe what you think is coming up for the in June with Dub Dub, feel free to join our Slack chat at chat.sharedinstance.com. And I will talk to you guys later. Peace.